Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. I want to share. Can I share my personal story with you? Because sometimes you see somebody and you meet them and you think you know them. Someone said, don't ever judge a person until you know their story. So nine years old, I woke up and everybody in my family was gone. There were six children in my family and I woke up and it was just me and my dad. And I, I said, Dad, Daddy, where is everybody? He said, well, your mom and I are getting a divorce and you're going to live with me. And though I was disappointed there was a, going to get a divorce, I wasn't shocked. It was not uncommon for the police to come to my house and, and stop my mom and dad. It was not uncommon to wake up in the middle of the night. I was the fifth of six children and, and hear them screaming and fighting and run in and see them rolling around on the floor. Maybe one of them would have a knife and, and you're yelling as a little child, Mama, Mama, don't kill Daddy, 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 don't kill Mama. Neither one of y'all kill any of us. And that was oftentimes the norm. My father was on his way to being married five times. The woman he married to my mother had been married three times. The woman after her had been married three times. The woman he married after her had been married two times. And finally, I married him the last time when he was 76 years old to a single white woman lawyer that he couldn't get away from in a walker. <laughs> it's a true story. I mean, between all those different stepmoms, I got more relatives than Alex Haley's and Roots. I don't have a family tree. I got a family bush. I'm related to everybody in the world, regardless of what color you are. So be nice to me. I might be your cousin. And in all of this confusion, my life was a mess. My four sisters got pregnant 13, 14, and 15 there in the Mexican ghetto of Houston. I was raised in the black ghetto of Houston until I was nine years old, fifth ward. And then when I found out I wasn't black, we moved to the Mexican ghetto of Houston. And there, just, just my world as I knew it was in a head-on collision with just chaos. Not only what was going on with my parents, not only what was happening uh, with, with my sisters. My older brother was my hero. He was a drug dealer. And I was just a mess. I was a mess. A few months after my mom and dad separated when I was nine years old, my dad came in and he, he woke me up and he said, come on, boy, we're going to go and find your mother. We began driving through the ship channel area of Houston and finally we stopped outside of a, a club and, and I saw my mama's car there. My daddy got a knife and he went and he stabbed both the back tires of the car. And we waited. About 30 minutes later, my, my mama came walking out with another man and my dad woke me up and he drug me across to where my mama was and he took me and he shoved me into my mother's face and he said, look at your mother. She's a prostitute. She's a whore. And they got in the car and began to drive away. And my dad and I got in the car and began to ram them in the rear. And I can remember at that moment, looking back on it, I, something inside of me said, I will never let anybody hurt me this much again. Something inside of me said, never. And I became bitter and I became angry. And I became resentful and unforgiving. And look right here. 
Bitterness and anger and unforgiveness is an engraved invitation for the devil to take over your life. Because if love is the spirit and language of heaven, bitterness, resentment, and unforgiveness is the spirit of hell. And that's how I became. And I got into drugs and gangs and and immorality. and, And my life literally became a mess. I wasn't a kid. I was just a small person. Because when you've experienced all of life that I'd experienced at that point, your childhood's gone. I can remember just being a little kid, nine or 10 years old, sitting on the front porch of, of my house saying, I don't know how, but one day my children won't go through this hell. I don't know how. One day they will not experience what, I don't know how. How many of you are grateful that God hears the prayers that are being prayed by poor kids all across this region? Their mama might not know it, their daddy might not know it, but there is a God in heaven that sees and knows who is a father to the fatherless. And so I I was just, I was literally, I was a mess. I was going to be just like my sisters. I was going to be just like my brother. But a miracle was about to happen in my life. I just didn't know it. I said when I was nine years old, we moved from the black ghetto, Fifth Ward, to the Mexican ghetto of Houston, Third Ward. And, and, and when we moved there, it was in the middle of integration by the time I got to junior high school. Does anybody remember integration? Integration was going to solve all the school's problems by busting kids from low-class black schools to high-class white schools so they could get an equal education. The only problem was I was Mexican, living in the Mexican ghetto. And primarily, everybody in our area was Mexican. Most of them first or second generation. And at that time, Mexicans were considered to be Mexicans. They were considered to be white because the Supreme Court said whoever wasn't black was white. My birth certificate says I'm white. Later on, I found out I was a Mexican-American. Not long after that, I found out I was a Chicano. Not long after that, I found out I was a Latino. And recently I found out that I'm a Hispanic, so pray for me while I find myself. (laughs) So they ended up busing kids from the black ghetto to the Mexican ghetto, and my junior high school became 60% Mexican, 39% black, and 1% white, and everybody wanted power. The brothers were saying, we want black power. The Mexicans were saying, we want Chicano power. And the whites were saying, we want out. Where's the door? And there was a young youth pastor working with his father-in-law part-time. He was an iron worker and part-time youth pastor. In a little church in the Mexican ghetto of Houston, it it was a nice white neighborhood 50, 60 years before. And now the Mexicans had moved in and the church was about 150 people, average age about 60 or 70. And he was there working with his father-in-law part-time as a youth pastor and part-time as an iron worker and And he was driving by our school. He heard about the race riots. He heard about all the integration that was going on. And he drove by one day and he he saw police cars. He saw all the mess that was going on. And he prayed and he said, God, would you give me that school? And he heard that still small voice. How many of you know the one I'm talking about? And he said, I've given it to you. Go and tell the principal. So he pulled his car over and he waited a minute. And he said, I've given it to you. Go and tell the principal. And he got out of his car and he went up to the office and he met the principal. He said, hello, sir. I know you don't know me. 
And he said, but, but, but I'm a youth minister and I work at a little church here down the road. And he said, I've been praying for your school and I feel like if you'll let me in this school, God will change the school. And the principal looked at him and he laughed. And he said, you want me to let you come and speak in my school? Have you ever heard of Madeline Murray O'Hara? How many of you have heard that name before? You should know that name. She got prayer taken out of every school in America. Madeline Murray O'Hare from Austin, Texas, was the head of the Atheist Association of America until she died about 15 years ago. And by the way, she's not an atheist. She has met God. I met her son 20 years ago. His name was John Murray that she used to get prayer taken out of school. He's now a pastor. So the principal looked and said, have you ever heard of Madeline Murray O'Hara? She is in Austin, Texas. I'm in Houston, Texas. I'll let you come and speak in this school. I could lose my job. And the pastor looked at him and said, well, what harm could it do? Your school's a mess. You got kids smoking weed walking down the halls. You got full-time officers. You got girls being accosted in the halls. What, how much worse could it get? And the principal said, you're right. What do you want to do? He said, would you let me do a school assembly and bring a band in and then let me speak to the kids? 2,000 kids. I said, sure. So they came and they brought a band and, and, and they did a school assembly. I came walking in that morning. I, I want to show you just a little bit of picture. This is right after I gave my life to Christ. Well, I won't show you that. I'll show you that in a minute. But my hair, well, there it is, too late. This is me. This is the older pastor, his wife, and this is me. I just got a haircut for this picture. This lady became like my grandmother. I called her Meemaw till the time she died. And so this pastor comes into our school. That morning, I did what I did every morning before school, smoked weed, don't act like you've never smoked weed before. Oh, I'm sorry. Gummy bears, brownies, uh, CBD oil, vapes. Did I miss anything? Okay, I got it. Thank you. And so I, I came in that morning. Me and my friends were just smoked marijuana before school. And I sat back at the back. The assembly went on. I don't even remember really anything that happened. The rest of the school went on the school day. I, I left and went home at about five o'clock. I got a knock on my door and there was a good looking girl. Her mama was Mexican. She was white who had long brown hair and her name was Dolores and she lived across the street from me. And she came and she knocked on my door and she said, hey, Jacob, th those people that were, were at school today, that band's going to be back and they're going to be there and the guy's going to be speaking again tonight and I want you to go with me. And I said, Dolores, I don't want to go hear anything like that. I've seen stuff like that on TV before. And she kind of had a special way of looking at me, fellas. And she said, w would you please go for me? So I said, will you kiss me if I go? Now, girls, I'm not recommending this for evangelism, all right? So I said, will you kiss me if I go? And she said, yes. So with that holy motive... I went to the meeting.
She sat up at the front with her friends. It was packed. I sat back in the back with all of my friends and cut up the whole time. The band played. After the band played, a guy got up and spoke. I don't even know what he said. And afterwards, everybody, they said, if you're here and you want to give your life to Christ and surrender to him, I want you to come. And half of the whole auditorium went up, including Dolores. I wasn't one of them. So I waited about 15 or 20 minutes and they had broken down into all the classrooms and they had counselors visiting with all of the students that responded. There was hundreds and hundreds of them. So I went around after about 20 minutes looking for the room where Dolores was to get my kiss and to leave. So I open up the chemistry lab and, and, door, and, and there, is, there is a classroom of kids. There's Dolores right there and there's an African-American counselor who's leading the, 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 the group in the room. And I just said, Hey, Dolores, time for us to go. You owe me something. <laughs> and the counselor looked up at me and he said, did you want to talk to me? Now, let me just tell you something that you might not know about Mexican people. Even if Mexican people don't follow Jesus, they're afraid of Jesus. <laughs> I've never met a blacker Mexican atheist. There may be one but they've never had the courage to tell their mother or grandmother or they would beat the hell out of them till they saw Jesus face to face. Am I preaching? I mean, come on, Mexicans name their children Jesus. When's the last time you met a brother named Jesus? A white guy named Jesus. And so he looked up at me, he said, did you want to talk to me? I said, you know, no, we really got to go. And Dolores looked at me and said, no, we don't. We got plenty of time. So I went and I sat down and I didn't know what he was going to say. Your sisters are a mess. Your brother's a drug dealer. Your mom and daddy. I didn't know what he was going to say. But when I sat down, he told me the most amazing story I'd ever heard in my life. Here's what he said. Jacob, it doesn't matter who your mom or daddy are. It doesn't matter who your brothers and sisters are. It doesn't even matter what you've done. There is a God that loves you and has a plan and purpose for your life. And if you will surrender to him and turn from your sin, he will reveal his plan and purpose for you. And then he said this, do you want that? I said, do I want that? That's all I've ever wanted my whole life. To know that I'm special, to know that I matter, to know that I'm not an accident. Like like the first part of my life I had to reconcile was my childhood. Like when I would sit on the front of my house and think, I don't know how my children are going. I would think, God, why did I have to be born to this family? Like you ever seen... Parents look at their kids and go, well, we're playing you and you and you, but now you, you were an accident. I always want those kids to jump up and say, so are you. I plan to be born to the rich white family at River Ranch. I don't know how I got stuck with you. <laughs> and and I, I had to reconcile that. Like, like God, why? Well, why? Maybe you have. Maybe you've wondered why wasn't my daddy there? <laughs> And maybe some of you that had a daddy wonder, why wasn't he gone? All my siblings were abused by a family member, including me. 
God care? Did he have a plan? Was I special? Really? Me? And he said, do you want that? I said, that's all I've ever wanted. And I took him by the hands and he took my hands and I prayed a prayer with him to surrender my life to Jesus. And all I can tell you is when we got through praying, something changed inside of me. I can explain it now as a pastor who's been studying this book for 49 years. What changed inside of me is the old Jacob died. His sins were forgiven. He got spiritually raised from the dead. Just like Lazarus was resurrected, as Jesus was resurrected, I walked in one person and that old person died and a new person was raised up inside of me. It was Christ inside of me. I was so excited about what happened. I know you're wondering, did you get your kiss? I got my kiss from Jesus, not from Dolores that night. I went home and I told my dad and my stepmom. This is my first stepmom. They got so excited about my conversion that they kicked me out of the house. I, I went home and When when I told them everything that happened, they literally thought I'd lost my mind. My daddy told me that I had been brainwashed by a cult. You know what I since learned? When he said I was brainwashed, if you knew what was in my brain when I gave my life to Jesus, it needed to be washed. And so I, I got kicked out of the house, so I called my mom. My siblings were living with my mom, the ones that were old enough that they weren't gone. And so I called my mom. I said, Mom, uh, Dad kicked me out of the house. Could I move in with you? And she said, yes. And she gave me the address of where she was. And if you know anything about Houston, the Mexican ghetto area is on the other side. It's between I-10 and I-49, Canal, Harrisburg, Navigation. It all runs into the ship channel. And so that area is called Little Mexico. So she gave me the address and I went, canal and then started going down towards the ship channel and finally I stopped at 7620 canal and my friend that dropped me off I got out and I looked and there was a yellow stucco building with black and yellow and red letters and it said the Paras lounge and I'm like what is this so I walked in and my mom came walking from behind the bar and she had on hot pants and go-go boots How many of you old enough to remember those? Raise your hand. How many of you wore them? Don't raise your hand, you'll scar me. She came walking from behind that bar with hot pants and go-go boots on, and I looked at her and I said, Mama, what is this? And she looked at me and she said, Son, if you're going to live with me, this is home. And I remember walking out the doorway of that lounge and looking up in the sky going, God, what in the world are you doing? Just a few months ago, I was trying to sneak in a place like this. Now you're trying to move me into one. And for the next three and a half years, every day when I came home from school, I worked and served beer in my mother's lounge. But that's where I began to preach the gospel. And where my mother had pictures of centerfolds on the wall, I'd put them down and put big signs, repent, no drunks will enter the kingdom of heaven. And my mother would say, Jacob, you got to stop preaching to people. I go, I don't want to work here. I'm underage. If you're going to make me work here, I'm going to preach here. 
And that's what I did until I was 17 and a half years old. And my pastor stood up one day at a church, be like Pastor Eugene, stand up saying, I'm moving away to another city. And he said that, and I walked up to him afterwards and I said, Pastor Keith, if you leave, what happens to me? He said, well, ask your mother if you can go with me and, 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 and I'll sign papers to care for you, to be your guardian. I went home that Sunday after church to my mama's bar and I said, Pastor Keith's moving. And he said, I could go if you'll sign papers. And she said, bring the papers. And that pastor took me in and he raised me like his own son. And he showed me how to be a husband and a father and a man and how to break four generations of curses of immorality and addiction. I spoke to him yesterday. He's 81 years old and strong as 10 men preaching this morning. That's why I like to say, Jesus saved my soul, but the church of Jesus saved my life. Because when I walked into church, I found the family that I never had. When I walked into church, I saw men that would be fathers to me. I saw women that were mothers and grandmothers to me, just like the picture of that I just showed you of Mima Weathers, who loved me. Her and her husband planted churches, started horse and buggy. If it rained, they couldn't even have service. She would drop me off at my mama's bar on Sunday nights and say, Jacob, God has his hand on your life, son. One day he's going to use you. One day you're going to preach to people and help people. And God is going to use you to change lives. His hand is on your life, Jacob. Two thousand students in my school gave their life to Christ. And a beginning of a movement called the Jesus Movement swept America. The principal gave his life to Jesus we had meetings every morning and a thousand kids crammed in our lunchroom. The first week, the pastor said, all of those of you that have given up drugs, I want you to bring them to school tomorrow. He took up a trash can load of drugs and went and knocked on the principal's door and the principal opened up the door and he dumped it out on the principal's desk and the principal broke down and gave his life to Jesus. From that move of God, God changed my life and many, many other people's lives. And that pastor that I moved with, the next school I went to, I graduated from Waco High School, a public school. I led 10% of our school to Jesus, and the principal was so moved, he gave me a school assembly to share my testimony with the entire student body. I spoke to 2 million students in public schools, and the first person that started getting me into public schools was the principal from my high school at Waco High School. He was the one. When I was 19 years old, my pastor, the man that raised me like my like son, knew a pastor in Lafayette who had a little church named Bethel Assembly right next to Northside High School. It's now a little funeral home. And he was talking to my pastor who used to be in Houston. And he said, man, we're having race riots at Northside High School. We had to elect a black homecoming queen and a white homecoming queen. And my pastor, who I call my daddy, said, listen, you know what you need? You need my son, Jacob, which is really funny. He called me his son. He is as honky white as you could be. And when I'd go around and go, here's my son, Jacob, hair down to here, as brown as I could be. People are looking going, something unclean going on right here. 
And he said, you need my son Jacob to come and to speak at that school. He's not black. He's not white. He's a Mexican. He can help him. Well, isn't that great thinking? (laughs) And with that, we went over to Northside High School with the pastor, Pastor Lenny, who actually founded Crossroads Church, was then Bethel Assembly. We went over right next door. He brought me over again, hair down to here. And he goes to the principal, hey, brother. This is Brother Jacob Aranza. He's not black. He's not white. He's a Mexican. He can help your school. And the principal did about what you just did. <laughs> I'm sorry, he said. We, we got it. We, we, we got it. We, we can take care of it on our own. And so I was staying on a couch in the back of Bethel Assembly, and kids would come, and I would meet them on the front lawn of the church when they were go next door to the school and we started a youth group out of those kids that started to get saved. And from that youth group, one of the families came in and I led most of the children in the family to Christ. Two became pastors, one became a missionary and the other one is sitting on the front row. Her name is Michelle Aranza now, she's my wife. And when you look at all that God has done, it all began because one man obeyed that voice that said, I can turn things around. I can turn things around regardless of what it looks like. And today, the pastor Jacob you know is nothing more than that little kid that God heard his cry. When he said, I don't know how, but some way, some way. Today, three of my children are preaching the gospel. A daughter is a missionary. All because one man was willing to obey God, to believe that God could take any situation and turn it around. Today, if when you leave here, you think, Pastor Jacob's amazing. I can't believe his story. You missed the whole point. This is not a story about Pastor Jacob. This is a story about the goodness and the grace of God who sees a generation of people in Opelousas and St. Landry Parish that are just like I was, that you drive by every day. Just like people just drove by me and thought I was just a little Mexican thug from the hood. Little did they know that God had a plan and a purpose. And we don't know that God has a plan and a purpose for the children that are all across this region. They don't have a daddy. They don't have a mama. They don't have an uncle. They don't have somebody that cares. But we, as the church of Jesus Christ, has not only been called to stand against abortion, we've been called to stand and help everybody who chooses to keep a baby and to help them. We are pro-life from the womb to the tomb. We believe in foster care. My wife has championed that for 15 years with Governor Blanco. Hundreds of children are being fostered out throughout all of our campuses. What we do for single moms and widows, what we've done for years and years, we've been doing that since the beginning of this church. That's what God's called us to do, to be his hands and feet, to see the broken and the hurting and the needy. Today, I don't know how many people you might look at and go, I bet that's what they thought Pastor Jacob was like. 
I bet, I bet that's what. They're just simply waiting to hear. They're waiting to see. They're still sitting on front porches praying. There's one question. Are you and me going to answer? Are we going to answer? Are we going to answer? Would you bow your head with me? Heavenly Father, thank you today for your amazing grace. Thank you that, that you redeem people like me to show that there's nothing you can't do. No situation you can't turn around and resurrect. No sin you can't forgive. Today, we pray for the children of St. Landry Parish. We pray for those that would be just like me, just like my siblings, another statistic. Lost, addicted, pregnant, forgotten, uneducated. And we ask you in the mighty name of Jesus to raise up an army in this house to be your hands and feet. To be to others who Pastor Keith and so many others were to me. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your goodness. There is no one too hard to reach for our God. There is no one too far from your supernatural grace. Today, I pray for every person here that you would begin to give us your eyes to look at those in our community. Your eyes to see what you see. When a kid's walking down the road and her first thought is there's another thug. There's another drug addict. There's another messed up kid. And Father, I pray for the families that are here that have been so blessed to have a mom and a daddy, to have a picture of what you intended a father to represent the father, a mama to represent the heart of the Holy Spirit, loving, caring, and taking care of. Thank you for your redeeming power. Thank you for your redeeming power. And now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. <laughs> what changed my life? What changed Pastor Eugene? What changed Heidi, Michelle? What changed Pastor Myra, Courtney? Is the moment we were born again. Have you been born again? You see, even as a young child growing up, there was never a time in my life I didn't believe in God and I didn't believe in Jesus, never. But I'd never been born again. The old Jacob had died so that Christ could be raised from the dead inside of me. I would be sorry when I sinned, but I never had the power to turn away from sin, the repentance. That never happens until you're born again. And Christ comes to live inside you and raises you from the spiritually dead. Have you been born again? 
You say, Pastor, I've been christened, I've been baptized, I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? That's a great start, but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, you must be born again. You say, Pastor, how can I do that? It's as easy as A, B, C. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer. And he died for your sin so you wouldn't have to die with your sin. And C, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior. As you turn away from sin to be born again. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I've never prayed to be born again. I've never repented and turned away from my sin. It only happens once, just like the day you were born. But Pastor, would you pray for me today? Today, I want to be born again. If that's you, I'm going to count. On the count of three, if that's what your heart is, Pastor, I want to be born again. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand real high and put it back down. I'm going to be the only one looking. I'm going to be the only one looking. If you've never been born again, and today you want to pray to be born again, to know God to be raised from the spiritually dead, to be forgiven of your sin, to find your purpose. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. One, God brought you here. Nothing is ever an accident. Two, everything that's happened in your life, even in these last few weeks, has led up to this moment, even the last few days. And now's your moment to be born again. Three, if that's you, lift your hand high. Lift it high. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six. Okay, you can put your hands down. The last ten seconds, Pastor, I didn't raise my hand with these twenty-six, but I should have. My heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know this is what I need. I know God is talking to me. It's your voice, but I know God is talking to me. I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. I want you to raise it and wave it at me. If you haven't raised your hand already, wave it at me. I'm asking this last time for you. 27. Anywhere else, wave it at me. 28, 29, 30, 31. Okay. 32. I see that. Okay, now church, let's pray out loud with all of you that raised your hand to be born again. Today becomes your spiritual birthday. And we're going to join you. We're all going to pray this prayer together for you to be born again. Let's join him, church. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my father. Jesus is my savior. And I'm born again in Jesus' name. Amen.